Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Morning. My name is Aaron Long. I'm the lead pastor here. I have to say two things before I get started. Okay. First is I promised my mother I would never preach in ripped jeans. And uh, this morning, these these are my faded, worn-in jeans, broken-in jeans, as I might say. And as I bent over to pick something up this morning or squatted down, they became my broken jeans, not my broken-in jeans. So, mom, I I say sorry. I say sorry. She's here today. And uh, and second is, if you've been after a Simple Church hat, I have a couple of them. You can see Derek after service. These are 25 for the hat. So if you want a hat, I have two. That's all I have. So I'm just throwing that out there, letting you know you can go out there to the Connect Center after service, right? And you will have those, Derek? Derek will have those out there. So he's a good man. He's a good man. So welcome to Simple Church. If it's your first time here, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, We're very excited that you're here. We want to make sure that if you just walked in, make sure that you get a t-shirt. We do have a free gift for you since it's your first time. We're so happy that you're here and that you you braved it out. Last night was like a a weather warning, like until 7 a.m. this morning. And I thought, goodness, we're not going to have anybody at church this morning. But look at you people. You braved it. You're so wonderful. And you braved our walkway. I heard somebody almost biffed it this morning. I apologize. For that, we put out salt, but apparently it was not enough. It was not enough. So, so welcome to it. We are in a new series. It's called Jesus Is. Okay, and uh, so in preparation for this, I uh, I went on Facebook and I put up a link so that people could post anonymously and, and we could gather their responses as to who Jesus is to you. Jesus is is a statement, and I asked. I have believers and non-believers on my Facebook, and I said. Just give me your honest answers. There's no judgment here. And I really made sure it was truly anonymous. I didn't like trick them and make them put in their email. And then, you know, like I knew who it was. I actually, this was truly anonymous. And so I've got all of their responses and I'm going to share some of them, some of them with you. Remember, these are from believers and non-believers. So if you're offended, I'm sorry, I didn't write them. But, but it's important that I think you understand this is what your culture is saying about Jesus. These are who from the 60 people or so that actually took and answered the survey with one sentence or one word, this is what they said about Jesus. So here's the very first response I got in the whole thing was, Jesus is a fear-based parable created to control behaviors of mankind. Jesus is my patient guardian and brother. Jesus is a fraud. Jesus is all-powerful. Jesus is amazing, awesome, calming. He's essential. Jesus is everything. Jesus is fake, fictitious. These are in alphabetical order, in case you weren't following that. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my gardener. I don't know. It was just a response. Jesus is healer, my hero. He's joy. He's love. That was the most popular response. Jesus is merciful. Jesus is my savior. Jesus is revolution. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is sexy. (laughs) Jesus is the reason why I live. And he's wicked awesome. And the last one, 
Jesus is worthwhile. Now, you may be thinking, why, why, Aaron, did you even ask this question? Well, A.W. Tozer says that what comes into, my, into our minds when we think about, um, I'm sorry, let me say that again. Let me, let me read it because I'll get it right. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why? Why? Because when you take the time to complete that statement and define Jesus, who Jesus is, or Jesus is this, it brings definition to your life. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, then you live a life that is out of response to that belief, right? So defining this will define your behavior. It defines your your life and brings definition to you. So that's what we're doing over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be looking at a few statements of who Jesus is. And, uh, and I really think you're going to love this series. We're going to jump right in to the Bible and I'm going to read some verses to you, and then we're going to talk about them. If you're here today and you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. So if you just put your hand up, raise your hand, let us know you need a Bible. We'll put one in your hands. This is our gift to you. We have expected you today. We have anticipated your arrival, and we love that you're here. So just put your hand in the air, and you'll get a Bible. And uh, that is your gift to keep. But we are going to be in Luke 15, and we're going to start at verse 2. And, uh, and this is Jesus uh, he's talking to some people that day, and, and the Pharisees are actually recognizing where Jesus is. So the very first verse, and I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this for time's sake, okay? You'll see some of the verses up on the screen. I'm going to give you the Aaron paraphrase, okay? Just so you know. I put it up there just so you know that it actually is in the Bible, okay? All right. So we're in Luke 15, verse 2. It starts off, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, you need to understand what this very first verse is. This is a complaint that is being filed by the Pharisees, right? And the Pharisees were complaining that Jesus was eating with sinners. Now, you need to understand that to eat with somebody back in the day would not have been as, as fast as it is for us. We pull up to a drive through say, give me a 10, give me a 6, give me a 4, and make it a biggie. And you pull through and you've got your food, right? Meal done. Everything's served. But a meal in this time, in Jesus' time, would have been an event. It would have been something that took some time, maybe a couple hours in order to eat with somebody because the food is being prepared right on the spot. And it's good possibility that those that prepared the food would have been doing so since the beginning of that day. Food was not readily available. Restaurants were not readily available like they are today. And so this was an event. Jesus is taking time to spend with the sinners. He's getting to know them by name and he's doing it intentionally. So he's building a, re, a, a, a uh, rapport or a relationship with these people. Okay. And that's their complaint. And I would love to have that complaint said about me. Wouldn't you love that? What a complaint. This man spends time with sinners. Man, that'd be awesome. And so Jesus hears what they're saying, and in response to it, the next, the next verses follow, and he tells three stories. This is classic Jesus. He doesn't really answer them, because just to give him the answer, he wants them to dig it out a little bit. He wants to say it to them and really give it to whoever's listening. So Jesus tells parables, which are stories, okay? And, uh, and so the, the first story is the story of the lost sheep. Now, here's my paraphrase. It's probably up there on the screen. But there's a guy who has 100 sheep. He's bringing them in, and he starts counting them. He only counts 99. He's lost one. So he abandons all the other ones and goes out to search for the one. Okay? He finds the one, brings it back, tells everybody about it, and they begin to party. That's the paraphrase. Second story. If you'd heard the story before, you know that that's a quick paraphrase. Here we go. Second story is about a lost coin. There's a lady who has 10 valuable coins. She loses one. 
She freaks out, like, you know, Gollum losing the precious ring, right? Where is it? Where is it? She tears the whole house apart, flips over the couches, sweeps the whole house and looks for the one coin, even though she's still got the nine. When she finds it, she calls her neighbors. They celebrate together and have a party. And then Jesus continues. So he tells the first two stories, and this is where we're going to pick up. I'm actually going to read this to you because there's a lot of good things in here. It's, it's, it's good. It's good. And this is the story of the prodigal son. And so verse 11 says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his census, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, he goes into his speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, notice how the father ignores his speech, by the way. Quick, bring the best robe and put put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's have a feast. And they partied. And they partied. One more verse I want to give you because it sets up the whole thing for today. It's in Ephesians. It's 2, 8 through 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. That's the second not in there. Not from yourselves and not by works, anything that you've done, so that no one can boast. This verse makes it explicitly clear that salvation is by grace, in case we missed it. That's the first thing it says. Salvation is by grace. But in case you miss it, he, he clarifies, because you're going to say, oh yeah, sure, yeah, but it's, it's, you know, it's something I earned. No, it's not from yourself. It's, it's a gift. It's a gift that was given to you. Well, but it's something I've done. No. It's not. It's not something that you've done. You get to stake no claim that you've done or earned your salvation in any way, shape, or form. It's a gift. And a gift, by its very nature, stops being a gift the second that when you receive it, you try to pay that person back for it. Now it's a product that you've purchased. It is not a gift. And this says that our salvation is our gift. So the very essence of our belief system, Christianity, is gift. We have been given that gift by grace. Christianity has nothing to do with us paying God back for what he's done for us. And so today in this Jesus is series, I'm going to say and finish that statement with Jesus is grace. Because that's what he is. So here's a question we all ask. What am I worth? What's my value? I had conversations with people this week and I sat down with them and I said, what are you worth? What makes you worth anything? And, uh, and, and there's always blank expressions because they don't quite know how to answer that. They're thinking through their head. There's lots of ways to answer this. Do you mean like at home? Or do you mean like on my job? 
Or do you mean like my net worth? Are you trying to, what are you trying to get at, Aaron? And so there, there's a few things that I would say that in our minds we think our worth is based on. We think maybe our, our worth is based on our looks, maybe our social status, maybe how many Facebook friends you have. I have 1,600. I don't know about you, but I have a few. How full your schedule is, like who you're having lunch with. Maybe you're a manager or you're an owner or you're a CEO and you pull your worth from that. Or maybe it's because of who your spouse is. Well, my spouse does this in society or my spouse is this person. Do you not know who they are and that's where you get your worth from? Or is it because you own three homes, you fly first class? Or is it because you have an extraordinary wine collection? Or is it who you hang out with, who you know? Like you can call up Macklemore right now on your cell phone. You are special. Is that your worth? The most prominent answer that I get from the people that I'm, I'm talking with, though, always comes down to what they do. It's always about what they do, right? It's, um, well, I'm generous. I do good things. I like old people, and I like to help them across the street. I do that. I, I tip big. Or uh, I read my Bible once a year. I have never missed church, or at least I haven't missed it in a long time. Um, I don't hurt anyone. Maybe that's your worth. All these things come down to what you do. It's, it's all about you feel like all these answers are very telling because they, you feel like your worth is earned. You feel like it's something you've done or not done, where you've been, who you know. These are all things that you earned. Whether it's good or bad, you earn something, Right? And you feel like your worth is earned. And so back to the text. And the reason it's important to point this out is because the Pharisees were looking down on the sinners. They were sizing up their worth, right? They were like, well, well, we're the Pharisees. Don't you know who we are? And to be truthful with you, back in that day, we would all probably be Pharisees. Now, I know we have a negative picture painted of them, but these guys were not idiots, These guys were logical, reasonable people. These were guys who were dedicated, disciplined. They had dedicated their lives to the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, right? They have learned these laws and they teach these laws to the people. These guys are the ones who pray and fast for days. These are the guys who do good in our neighborhoods. These are guys you probably would have looked at and said, these are the good guys. And so Jesus should be sitting with the good guys, right? And so naturally, these guys feel like they've earned the right to look down because they think that worth is earned. They feel like they have the right to look down on sinners and say, these guys need to do more. How dare you, Jesus? If you claim to be the Son of God, don't you know who they are? Don't you know what they've done? Don't you know their worth level? Shouldn't you be spending time with us? And I think if you were around during that time, you'd have been like, yeah, Jesus, what are you doing? Why aren't you hanging out with me? Would Jesus be here with us? Not according to this text. Unless you're, you know, really bad people. That's who Jesus was found with. Now, we, we want to say that, that Jesus was always hanging out with single moms. You know, the dads or the husbands have left. Uh, you know, the, the, the um, orphans. We want to say that, that Jesus was hanging out with these kind of people, right? We want to say these are people that have been, been downtrodden by society, and that's who he hung out with. But that's not always necessarily the case. Jesus was found with people who had put themselves down, 
These were bad people. These were pimps. These were prostitutes. These were drug lords, tax collectors. And this is who Jesus chose to be with. And these people chose to be that way. These sinners or these really bad people liked being bad. They enjoyed it. That's why they did it. They had put themselves in this scenario of life. And here Jesus is in the middle of them. So of course the Pharisees are going to go, what are you doing? Don't you know who they are? So they file their complaint. And Jesus is developing this relationship with them. And so this whole text, this whole day, is in response to, Jesus, or to, to their complaint about Jesus hanging out with sinners. And so Jesus says, you know what? Let me, let me tell you a story. Because these stories aren't randomly placed. They're right after the complaint is filed. It's not like this technical filing thing. They were just kind of muttering to themselves on the sidelines. And Jesus says, there's a guy who's got sheep. Now, I love Jesus because Jesus is always talking to people at their level. He's always talking to them about things that they understand. And sheep would have been something a bunch of people in this time would have understood, right? It's like sheep and Hondas. We all know what Hondas are. They all knew what sheep were, right? So sheep, they saw as many sheep as we see Hondas on the road, okay? And so they would have understood this reference. And so the guy loses one sheep, out of a hundred. And he goes off to find it, right? And I want to just say this. If you stop right there at the loss of one, it doesn't take a math Olympian, which I was, by the way, in sixth grade. Autographs are later. Stay calm. It doesn't take a math Olympian to realize that 99 is a greater number than one, right? 99 is still okay. If I had lost one sheep being a shepherd... And normal, I mean, think about this for a second. If you had lost one, you'd be okay. Like you have $100 and you lose one. You're still okay because you have 91. It's just a dollar. Why are you freaking out? Why are you abandoning the 99 and looking for one? If I was around that time and I had 99 sheep, I may have quoted the Jay-Z of the day and said, I got 99 problems, but that sheep ain't one. See what I did there? I took it out of the Bible and I made it topical in today. You're welcome. <laughs> but what is Jesus telling us about God when he does this? When he tells this story, what is he, what is he revealing about God here? So he tells another story. There's a woman who has ten coins. They're valuable. And, and she loses one. And like I said before, she goes, she goes nuts. Like, I almost played the, the clip of Gollum when he lost his ring when Bilbo found it for the first time. And he went nuts. He's screaming. She's flipping over the couches. She's looking everywhere for it. But honestly, she's still got nine. Now, I'm looking around the room and I'm thinking, who in here would know valuable coins? And Derek, you're the only guy I would think, if you got ten valuable coins and you lose one, you're still okay, right? You got nine. But think about this. Think about if, husbands and wives, think about if your spouse was this irrational, this illogical, Right? It's like, I don't know what you're freaking out about. And we had $10, and now we've got nine. Chill out, right? I know there was 10 donuts. I ate one. What's the big deal? <laughs> Settle down. If our spouses were this irrational and illogical, you would be like, really? It's just, it's just one. Chill out. But that's not the story Jesus is telling. He says that when she finds it, 
She gets people together and she has a party. Does that make any sense, Derek? Have you ever lost a coin and when you found it, you threw a party? Never. Derek collects precious coins, by the way, just so you know. And so none of this is logical. Neither the shepherd or the woman make any sense. Anybody listening to this story would have said, that just, that that doesn't really make any sense to me, right? But we have to understand that the story is not really about them. It's about God. It's telling us something about the very nature of God. And this is his answer to his complaint about why he's hanging out with sinners because God is illogical. When it comes to people, God never plays it safe. He just never plays it safe. You may be thinking to yourself, who is protecting the 99 while you're off chasing after the one? That's why it doesn't make any sense. You're exposing them to being hurt. If you were listening to the story, you would say of this shepherd that he's a bad businessman or that he needs to be fired. He's poorly managing his, his sheep with business comes lost sometimes. It happens, right? It happens. And who turns their house upside down for a little coin? Who does that? But this isn't about the sheep. It's not about the coins. And the third story is not necessarily about the son. It is about people. So why do I hang out with people, Jesus says? He's putting a mathematical equation into place to explain the price tag of people, right? We do this. We wonder this, right? We think, how much is something worth? Well, check the price tag. What does it say there? That's how much that is worth. And so Jesus puts a price tag on us with these first two stories. He's putting an illogical story together and saying, this is your price tag. And we don't think this way at all. We think we've got the 99. We've got the 9. We're okay. But God is not that way. And God is not like us. Why do you hang out with bad people? Well, Jesus says, I'm like the shepherd with his sheep. I'm like the woman with her coin collection. And the final story that Jesus tells here, though, the prodigal son, is a little, it's, it's just a little different, right? Because sheep can't talk. And a coin, well, it, it can't talk, right? But the son, the son says some things that are very revealing. See, you can make a case for the sheep and the coin. See, sheep are dumb, which ironically enough, we are compared to through, all throughout the Bible. We are called sheep, but that's another thing. But a sheep is a beast, right? Maybe it was just being, being a little sheep and said, I smell something. That smells, that smells good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to wander off. And he, just, and he doesn't mean to, but he's an animal. So you can make a case and go, well, the sheep's dumb. That's why it wandered off. You can make a case for the coin. The coin is an inanimate object, Aaron. It has no ability to make a decision about where it goes and what it does or its value. It's just, it's owned. And it was lost because somebody was careless or the bag fell open or something happened. But the coin did not get lost on its own. But the son, well, the son, the son did this of his own volition. He made a decision, a conscious choice to do what he did. And so when we look at his story, he, he did this to himself. When he asked for his inheritance, it says that this guy turns to his dad and asks for his inheritance. You need to understand what that means. Has anybody here ever heard of getting an inheritance while your father is still alive? No. You get an inheritance when dad dies. So asking for his inheritance while dad is still alive is like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. And the Father, in His grace, and His mercy, says, that's what you want, I'll give it to you. 
I'll give it to you. And so the son shames his family by asking for his inheritance. And he moves away to a city that is undesirable. Maybe a place like Detroit. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Not really. I'm just kidding. But I'm kidding. No, I'm just kidding. But maybe he moves away. And he lives wildly. He made that decision. Nobody forced his hand. He had a will and ability to make right or wrong decisions, and he chose, right? And so the stories Jesus is telling have a progression. If you were listening to the stories, you would not be on the side of the sun at this point. You'd have been like, this madness needs to stop. This son, whoever he is, should not have asked for his inheritance. He shamed his whole family, as the father would have had to sell off part of his his flock and part of his property in order to give his inheritance to the son for the son to go spend it foolishly. But in the story, I want you to see what happens to the son. He finds himself after he lives wildly in this faraway land of Detroit. He lives wildly and he finds himself in a pigsty longing to eat the pods that the pigs are eating. Now, I love Jesus' storytelling. And you need to, you need to read the Bible, not just you know, like read it. You need to look at what, what is this saying? Because for Jesus to be talking to a room full of Jews and say that a kid was not only working for a farmer, but the farmer put him with the pigs, and now he's sitting there looking at the pig's food and going, this is great. You need to understand something about Jews. Pigs are not kosher. They are disgusting, unclean beasts that Jews do not have any part of. And when Jesus said this guy is working, just in case he's losing the crowd, in case anybody's falling asleep, he says, yeah, he's, oh, by the way, he's working with pigs and he wants to eat their food. Everybody's stomach would have just turned. That would have been disgusting to them. And so he makes a plan, the boy does, the son, a plan to return to his father, realizing he would not be welcome in his father's house as a son because he had shamed the family and said, Dad, I wish you were dead. So he decides to go back as a servant, right? He prepares a speech, and in that speech, he uses the word worthy. I'm not worthy to be a son. He's concluded that his worth is earned, just like most of us. Just like you, prior to today, had I asked you, what is your worth? You would have said, well, it's something I do. It's something that I earn. That's my worth. And he, the son feels like he's lost the right and is no longer worthy to be part of the family. But he thinks, maybe I can get back into my father's house by becoming a servant, working and earning my way in. And so he's headed home. And the story paints a beautiful picture of the father because the story is not about the son. The story is about God and his nature. That the, the verse says that the father sees him. That means he was looking for him. He sees him off in the distance. And the father jumps off the porch. And he starts running towards the boy. Which was very, very shameful in and of itself for a man during this time. A wealthy man to be running towards his son. Especially the son who had said, Dad, I wish you were dead. And he runs to him and he embraces him. And the son says, hold on, let me give you my speech that I've prepared. And it's almost as if dad doesn't hear it. Instead, he calls for a robe and he likes it. So he puts a ring on it and gives him a sandals as well. And he says, you know what? I'm going to reward you. And it's almost like he rewarded him for the prodigal living, right? It's almost like when he came back, he blessed him. He gave him gifts for saying, Dad, I wish you were dead and left, right? But that's not what happened here. Anyone listening would have been lost on this story twist right here. It's like The Sixth Sense. Anybody ever seen The Sixth Sense? Anybody not seen The Sixth Sense? Because this is spoiler alert, okay? 
Can't believe the guy's dead at the end, right? It's like that twist. You're like, what? And everybody listening to the story would have just said, what, 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 what? The father just did what? But Jesus is trying to make a point. It's not logical what's happening here. The son should not be received this way. But because of grace, he is. And he's trying to say that because of himself, there's only one reason why God hangs out with bad people. And it's because of himself. It's because he wants to. That's the only answer possible. There's three lost things, but the shepherd, the woman, and the father all act the same way. They search, they find, they recover, and they celebrate. And God is saying, you know why I hang out with these bad people? Because I am who I am. I am grace. Why is he hanging out with them? For grace, to give it. Worth is not earned. Their worth was not earned to him. Salvation is not earned. It is only received, but that's where the problem is for most of humanity, right? We want to earn our salvation. We want to increase our worth. It's why we go to, to our jobs every day. It's why we develop skills within ourselves. It's why we learn to play guitar. We are worth more to the ladies when we can play guitar, right, gentlemen? <laughs> I, got, I, got, I, got a, I got something back there. There it is, rock and roll, man. We are worth more. And so we, we work to earn that worth, Right? But Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, it's For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We get no claim in our salvation, no claim in the change that is happening in our hearts. God gets all the glory for that, because it's given to us. It's a gift given by grace. And grace is God meeting man at his very point of need in a person. And that person... It's Jesus. We can't even set up an appointment with God, could we? Like if we wanted to, right? We wanted to do and to earn this. How would you set an appointment with God? Do you have his phone number? Do you have his email address? Do you know his website where you can request an appointment with him? I mean, how would you go about doing that? And if you got an appointment, how would you get to God? How are you going to do that? You gonna, are you going to Google map it? I know some of you, you couldn't get from one side of town to the other without Google Maps, right? Thank God for Google, we would be lost without it. But some of you, you're going to try to Google how to get to God? You can't. God came to us, though, in the form of a person, and that was Jesus. And he did that by grace. He did that, and he extended acceptance because of who he is. So worth cannot be gained by the world we live in, but by the image we have been created in. In case you're curious, what am I, what's my worth based on then, Aaron? It's the image that you were created in. When you have a child, maybe when you have your first child, you never know how much you're going to love that kid, right? You don't know. But when that child comes out and the first time you hold it, you love it. And that makes no sense. It's illogical if you think about it. That child's done nothing for you. I mean, if worth is to be earned, Right? The child's done nothing for you. In fact, what the child can do, you wish that he would do a lot less of some things, like cry and pee on things. You wish it would not. But the child does nothing, and yet it has worth. And you love it, and you don't know why. I'll tell you why, because that child is your image bearer. When the child comes out, everybody says, oh, he's got your eyes, or he looks like your spouse, or his ears are like your Uncle Tim's, or whatever. 
Somebody has an Uncle Tim out there with ears. I don't know. I'm just saying. And you love this child because it bears its image of you. It's from you. And Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, and he's talking about us, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. I'm going to stop there with the verse. God made us in his image. He loves us because we bear his image. We have worth, not because of what we've done, because of what we do, where we go, who we know, none of it. We have worth because we are his image bearer. And God is moved by his own image that is in us. It isn't because of your talents. God is not impressed by your guitar playing. He doesn't care. He will not allow his image to be lost in this earth. And he will do whatever it takes to recover his image in mankind. He will do the illogical, the unthinkable, and the ridiculous to get to you. To reveal his love for you, he will leave the 99. He will tear his house up to get to you because you are his image bearer. Your worth was given to you before you were born. Made in his image, he values you because of it. Worth is not earned, it's not achieved. It is received. And so by grace. And this may be a challenge for you. I know it must be because even the disciples, the guys who were closest to Jesus, this was a challenge for them to receive it. They hung out with him. They understood who Jesus hung out with. But even the disciples have a worthy scale, right? We see them in Mark 10, 13. People are bringing their kids to Jesus. And the disciples are start reprimanding the parents. They're like, nope, don't bring them. As if Jesus has something better to do. Like there are bigger fish to fry right now. There are political people Jesus needs to be shaking hands with. There are people that are sick, don't you know? There are people with money that want to meet you and bless you, Jesus. No, no, parents take the kids away. These kids have no worth. They're not worthy of their time with Jesus. And Jesus sees them doing it and he rebukes them. He says, let the little children come to me. And he receives them in his arms. He hugs them and he holds them. And he says to them, he says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, this is something that means, hey, listen up. This is as sure as the sun is rising today. This, this is it. This is it. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children's in his arm. And the children's? He took the children's in his arms. And he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. And Jesus wants to hold you and I in the same way. He wants to hold us. Regardless of our worth or what we think our worth level is. He wants to hold you. Children have nothing to offer to Jesus. And yet he loves them and wants to hold them. No matter our decisions, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter who we've become, no matter our talents or lack thereof, no matter our bank account size, no matter how long we've been in church, whether we're a believer or not, He wants to hold you. And He wants to hold you in your arms. And for those of us who Jesus is trying to embrace, we're too busy trying to earn it. No, no, I got this. Let me clean myself up before I come to you, Jesus. Let me make myself better before I do this. Or those of us that are sitting on his lap, we're too busy wriggling off because we want to dance and prance and show him that we can do this. We can earn his love. We can earn his attention. But that's not what he's asked us to do. He's asked us to rest. Rest in his arms. He just wants to hold us. We want to play our part. It's our natural inclination to want to earn salvation. But 
or worth to him. It's not based on that. Jesus is telling us that our part is to rest, to accept his gift as a child would, to just come to him, let him hold us, heal us, love us, restore us, forgive us, and do what the woman and the shepherd did, celebrate us, to celebrate us. There's no other value system in the, on the planet like this, folks. There just isn't. There's no other person that views you this way. It's illogical. It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. You know, whether you're a son who's walked away from God or you're the son or daughter that has jumped down from his lap to try to earn his attention, I want you to know today that this message is for you just as much as it is for me, that his love, his affection is for you, that God gave his son Jesus, allowed him to be beaten and murdered in the greatest act of love ever known to man so that he could express to you his nature. For he is grace. Could it really be as good as I'm telling you today? No. No, it's much better. It's much better than I'm even able to describe to you. This, this is the best I can do. It's to tell you, it, it, it's never going to make sense. You're never going to be good enough to come to Jesus. You're never going to have it all together. You're never going to be right. You're never going to be sinless enough to crawl into his arms and have him love you and celebrate you. And that love is given to us by grace. By grace. There's nothing we can do to earn him. Let's pray. Father, I am I'm so thankful. Thankful for your, your grace. To know that your worth, or my worth, that our worth, thank God, is not found in what we do. <laughs> for I know that I am unworthy. And the best that I can offer you is not good enough. And so I'm thankful that the best that I have to offer has nothing to do with my word. Lord, I, I, I pray that we, that our hearts would just be open to receive your grace today. To receive the gift that you gave by grace and that gift that you gave us in your son. Lord, that unless we receive the kingdom of heaven like a child does, almost like a kid receives a gift at Christmas, we don't think about repaying it back. They don't, they don't think about, hey, I'll give you money for that, Dad. They're just thankful for it. Lord, may we be like a, a child at Christmas, thankful for this gift and find rest in that gift. There are those of you here today that have never accepted this gift of grace. You've heard about it. But you said, that's not for me. But today, something's tugging at your heart. Like, Aaron, I want my worth to be known in nothing that I've done, but in who Jesus is, who God is, and that I'm a bearer of that image. If you want to cross that line of of faith and say, Jesus, hold me. There's nobody looking around you. Just put your hand in the air and let me know that you're here. On the count of three, I'm going to count. 
And this count is for you. This is your opportunity to change. And I don't mean change who you are. Let Jesus do that. But you can change the direction of your life with one decision. To accept a gift that requires no work to earn it. When I say three, if you'd put your hand in the air, one, I'm counting for you. Two, this moment could be a defining moment for you when you say that Jesus is grace and I accept it. If you put your hand up when I say three, three. Thank you. I'd love for everybody in the room to pray out loud with us so that no one person is praying alone. There's nobody that should ever pray alone. If we would all pray this prayer together, Jesus, I accept your gift. Make me brand new. Thank you for your grace. Show me how to live from here on out. And I'll live my life for you forever. Amen. If that was you and that's a prayer that you've prayed, today is going to be different for you. And I would love to meet you. I'd love to give you some more information about what it means to be a Christian. I would love to give you a Bible. I would love to hug your neck. For the rest of you here, we are a body of believers and sometimes we get sick or sometimes we have needs. Sometimes waves of the ocean are crashing in around us, right? When you need prayer, I have people that are here to pray with you. They're wearing badges just like these. They're lining the back of the room right now. And if you need prayer, I would encourage you to get up and and to meet them. I'll give you just two minutes maybe to do that and then we're going to close the service I'm so thankful that you all came out today thank you for allowing me to share Jesus' grace we'll spend the next three weeks after this exploring Jesus's as well we could go on and on about who Jesus is though but come back here, here, uh, hear more about Jesus' next week as well God bless you guys we'll close the service in just a moment